Hey, 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 welcome to the Pastor Duke podcast. Thank you, Pastor John Westfall, for allowing me to use your uh, facilities here. Got my wailing wall in the background. Hey, hope to be a blessing to you. When I launched into uh, the podcast uh, ministry on my own, there were things on my heart that I wanted to accomplish. Number one, I wanted to continue my prophetic uh, studies. Uh, I've been in a lot of your churches doing prophecy conference. So that that's my main bread and butter. But then I had other things on my heart. I guess you'd say if you're an old rock and roll group from my era, you know, uh, the Duke Meister's greatest hits, things from the scriptures that just are part of my soul. And today is one of them. Uh, it's from the Song of Solomon, one of the least taught books in all the Bible. And yet I think one of the most important books in all of the Bible. You know, from the names of God, we get the character of God, the nature of God, just like with our names and titles. You know, I'm a son. That kind of tells you some things about me. I, I think everybody that's a guy is a son and a daughter, but I'm also a father. Not all men are fathers, and there's it's an experience that God has allowed me to have. Now, I'm a papa. Uh, I'm a pastor. I'm an, I guess I'm an evangelist. I travel around preaching the gospel. Uh, I'm a storyteller, and each of these names or titles tells you something about who I am, who, who you are. And the same is true with, with God, and our Lord wants us to know him. He wants us not just to know his attributes, he's all-knowing and all-powerful and uh, omnipresent and eternal and immutable and all that. That certainly does hold us in awe, but there's so much more of who he is that he wants us to know. And for me, Song of Solomon just screams to my heart, and I hope it'll scream to your heart as well. Song of Solomon is uh, written by Solomon. Uh, you know, he, he started out well, prayed for wisdom. Uh, he didn't pray for riches and all of that, and God was impressed with that prayer. It's kind of like he sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things were added unto him. But he had wisdom. But even though he had wisdom, boy, he, he certainly had struggles. Uh, he said, in much wisdom is much sorrow. And he had some many, many failures. But God chose Solomon to write this book, Song of Solomon. Some extremely interesting things about the book of Solomon. As you back off and you kind of take a holistic view of it, Psalmist, Song of Solomon begins like the New Testament begins, awaiting for the arrival of the beloved. Of course, the beloved is Jesus. Song of Solomon closes as the New Testament closes, waiting for the second coming, the second arrival of the beloved. And when you, you look at Song of Solomon and just read the eight chapters, you see a dialogue, like a series of love letters uh, happening between Solomon and his bride. Now, the unfortunate thing is, <laughs> somebody said, if Solomon was the wisest man in the whole world, why would he want a thousand mother-in-laws? I, I thought that was a great question. It was a lady that brought that to my attention. And, uh, but we're zooming in on a right relationship with a bride that he was obviously crazy in love with. And so it's a series of love letters between Solomon and his bride. Which one? We're not told. But don't let that take away from this story. It's written by God, not written by Solomon. 
But there's a series of love letters going back and forth, just adoring one another and making plans for the future and sharing their sentiments with one another. And, and uh, so the key of really understanding a Song of Solomon is who is speaking to who. And if you have a good study Bible, it's right there laid out for you. But the part of Song of Solomon that really applies to, to you and I is uh, the typology. We know in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the groom, and to the church, you're the bride. And you bring that into Song of Solomon, the groom here, which in reality was Solomon, and the bride was a gal, but by way of application, this is where Song of Solomon is my book. It's a love letter from Jesus, to the groom, to me, the bride, is the bride of Christ. And so God is pouring out his affection on the bride. You know, when I came to the Lord as an 18-year-old kid, I just, I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to live the way I was living anymore. I felt like I was living in hell and being controlled by drugs, being controlled by peer pressure, facing jail time if I get caught doing what I'm doing every day. And so I needed help and I came to God in fear and he's all powerful. He created uh, the heavens and the earth, I'm going to stand before him one day. And and he gave unto me eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then I began to know God in fabulous ways that I had no clue. And that's where we're going today in the book of Song of Solomon. Now, before we jump in with this verse one, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, I just want to kind of back off. This holds me in awe. You know, I was raised in the public school system. I was a uh, an evolutionist in the beginning. Nothing became everything. You know, they just tried to tune God out of science class, tune God out of school, tune God out of culture, just tune God out. We're really paying the price for that today. But I, I remember, you know, uh, hearing the creation story and uh, the evolutionary story only takes care of the physical universe and, and, and life spontaneously generated in a warm tidal pool as a bolt of lightning hits the necessary amino acids. And and uh, these they called it simple in the story, but these chains of uh, amino acids come together and form a DNA molecule. They call it simple, but in reality, it's not simple at all. So they're trying to explain the physical universe and the chemistry of life, uh, a plasma of blood, uh, of circulation, of respiration, of reproduction, all that stuff. But you know what? You get into Song of Solomon. It's so much more than just the physical world. How do you explain the chemistry of consciousness? How do you explain the chemistry of affection, which Song of Solomon is all about that? The chemistry of emotion. Well, that's their problem, not ours. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man, you and I, in his own image. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't always feel like I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but that's why God gave us his word, that the truth would set us free. Song of Solomon begins, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. This, uh, this bride desired the physical affection of the groom. Kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. I love to hear my bride say that to me. It might happen along the way, but not not as often as, as I would like. But this book is full of affection. It's full of romance. And, you know, that that's a side of things that uh, 
I don't think we focus on enough when it comes to God. Yes, he's all-powerful. Yes, he's all-knowing. Yes, he's immutable and eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, omnipresent. But he's a God of extreme affection. We're uh, babysitting the week uh, with our five-year-old granddaughter, and uh, her mommy and daddy are away celebrating their 10th anniversary. And Giovanna, I think, gave me the biggest hug I ever had in my life this morning when uh, we got up in the morning. And the affection that uh, God put in that little girl for her, Mia and Papa, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And God wants you and I to know he feels affection for us. And he desires affection from us. I can't go and just give God a big hug in the morning like Gia hugged me today. I, 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 and of course I hugged her back and told her how awesome she is and how she made my day. But uh, God wants us to be part of a relationship with him. And though I can't hug God and look him in, in, in the eyes and just say, I love you. I, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so when I'm in his word in the morning, I'm keeping his commandments. Search the scriptures. They testify of me. Hide his word in my heart that I might not sit against God. So when I'm, I'm having my quiet time worshiping, I'm telling God I love him. I want him to be able to celebrate me. And I know I'm in the flesh. I know there dwelt no good thing in me. I know I have a fallen nature. My will is rebellious still. My intellect is darkened. Uh, my emotions are perverted. I know that, but he's quickened me. He's made me alive. And um, he loves me. And he wants me and you to love him back. And so there's a series of love letters going down there. And by way of application, it's who's speaking to who. And it's, it's usually pretty obvious, right, in the text. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That's the bride reaching out, uh, longing for affection from her groom. And then they get into this thing down in the last part of chapter one. Your cheeks are uh, comely or beautiful uh, with rows of jewels and necks with uh, chains of gold. Now, that's not how we show our romantic thing. Today, we'd say, <laughs> you're hot, <laughs> you're beautiful. Uh, I love how you look in that outfit. But this in their culture, in their time, that's how they expressed it. And if I told uh, Joelle and uh, some of these things are in the book of Song, Song of Solomon. I think she'd slap me in the face because it just doesn't fit into our culture. But what does fit is it's, it's affection. And so this dialogue uh, continues, and I have my Bible open. You can't see it, but I can. I, I love to come to this passage in, in chapter 4. It says, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Your hair is beautiful. Your hair is like the flock of goats that appear from the Mount, Mount of Gilead. Thy teeth are like the flock. And so um, they're looking from the top to the bottom. I love your hair. I love your eyes. I love your cheeks. I love your ears. I love your face. I love your nose. I love... Uh, there's just this extreme affection going on, which is phenomenal. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Don't say that to your bride or anything like that. Uh, uh, 
Should I read uh, verse five? Thy two breasts are like two young rows or twins. And uh, I'm, I'm going to skip over that. But um, uh, God is a creator of, uh, of sexuality and has holy boundaries for it. And so this is holiness uh, unfolding uh, in our world today. We'd like to pervert that, make, twist that into something dirty. But there was just this complete infatuation uh, with uh, one another, uh, uh, just a fantastic e emotional, uh, sexual, um, passionate desire that is unfolding. And then I come down and it says in verse 7, this is my favorite verses in the whole book, Thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. And this is just extreme praise. Thou art all fair. And I'm thinking, oh, man, that's me talking to Jesus. He's all fair. There's no spot in, in thee. And I can get all my theology coming into this. The reason there's no spot in him, he is born of a virgin. That fallen nature that all of us have for all sin and comes to the glory of God, that comes from our earthly father. Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all, for all have sinned. Uh, but Jesus didn't have an earthly father. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin, having no earthly father. He had no Adamic, no sinful nature. And therefore, when he was tempted in all points, as we're tempted, he didn't sin. It wasn't his nature. He never sinned one time. He was above that. He was the Lamb of God without spot, without blemish. <laughs> and so all of my theology, the immutability of God, uh, this plan of God to clothe himself in human flesh, uh, the sacrifice God didn't want, but a body he has prepared. And all of the promise of the Old Testament, the coming of a Redeemer, coming of a Messiah, it all culminates in the person of Jesus. So you and I can look to Jesus and open our Bibles, a Song of Solomon 4, verse 7, and say, that Thou art all fair, Jesus, uh, my love. There is no spot in thee. And we are absolutely and theologically true. But when we look at the text, it turns out it's not us, the bride, speaking to the groom. It certainly fits, but the reality is it's the groom speaking to us. It's Jesus getting down on a knee, you know, I got down on my knee when I presented a little ring to Joellen uh, back in October of uh, 1976 in everyone's life. There's a summer of 76. Woohoo! And uh, I got down on my knee and picture this, this people have these crazy ideas about God. Um, omnipotent and angry and um, a brick ready to throw at you if you do something wrong. Man, that is not taught in the Holy Bible. This is God opening his heart, sharing his affection for you and for me. He looks at me. He looks at you and says, you can see on bended knee, thou art all fair, my love. There's no spot in thee. I'm like, how can that be? Are you how could you say that about me, Jesus? Psalm 139, you know, my down sittings and my uprising, you know, my thoughts are far off. You know, the wacky stuff that goes through my mind. You know how when I see 
evil that I, I want to do vengeance and there's lustful thoughts that still go through my mind by the grace of God. I've not acted out upon them. I've been a one woman man and you've given me grace for that. You give me a beautiful wife, but man, the things that go through my mind is embarrassing. I don't want to think those thoughts. I don't want to go those places. How I, I can look to you. Thou art all fair, Milo. I can say that about you and it's absolutely true, but how can you say that about me? And he smiles and he says, because the blood, my blood cleansed you from all sin. That one sacrifice that I made once for all on the cross was all sufficient to pay the penalty, to cover, to atone for 100% of your sin, past, present, and future. <laughs> Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Let this sink in. This this changes everything. I get all busy in the work of the Lord and caring about the needs of people and the phone's ringing. I'm trying to write messages. I'm, I'm, I'm setting up my itinerary and thank God the phone's ringing again. I'm going all over the place again this summer. I'm so thankful doing a camp in Ohio, Camp Chautauqua, 750 teenagers. That's going to be a blast. I can't wait. Um, and I get so, I just get sometimes just overwhelmed with what I need to do and don't have enough time to do it. And, and, and then you get battles and you're in the midst of bearing people's burdens and you just get overwhelmed sometimes. And then you, you, you get alone with the Lord and you see him on bended knee to me, looking me in the eye, looking you in the eye. And he's like, time out time out I love you kind of just the way you are I don't love you because your intelligence any intelligence you have I gave you any great gifts you use that can advance the kingdom I gave them to you you and I can't take credit for any of the abilities that we have but the one thing that we have that we can give him is our uh, affection our, our time, our worship means everything to him. And notice what he says. He's adoring us in verse 7. There's no spot in thee. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleansed me and you from all sin, buried them in the deepest sea, cast them as far as the east is from the west, remembers them no more. He doesn't see me in my sin, he sees me redeemed, brought back, bought back by his precious blood. And then he gives us an invitation. I like to put it this way. He asks us out. I do that with my wife sometimes. Hey, you want to go grab a bite to eat? And I say, you asking me out? Because <laughs> I want to tie, I want to tie affection to just pretty much everything I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shanir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. He asks us out. I'm taking this literally. These are three mountains in Israel, and unlike in the Adirondacks, you have the Great Range. I've hiked all 46 of the high peaks and of the Adirondack Mountains. 
you have a ridge, the, the Great Range, and you go up one down and down the other and up and down, and there's seven of the high peaks right in one succession on the Great Range. This this isn't that way. These are spread out, one here, one there. You This is going to take, basically it's going to take about half a year to do this. If you're actually going to c- climb these mountains, uh, Amana, Chenier, and Herman. Herman is the largest peak in the Middle East. It's uh, like 7,900 feet above sea level. And at the bottom of the hill, it's below sea level down by the Sea of Galilee. And, and so these are, uh, he's asking us out, and it isn't for, you know, an evening. He just says, will you stop your world? Will you get off your uh, what is it? the mouse on the thing there, you know, the wheel? Would you, would you stop all that? Would you get off the treadmill of life insane, going 100 miles an hour? Would you just stop to be with me? Let, let, let's just get away. Let, let's go hiking, just me and you, take the stuff. We'll go see the, the most beautiful places God made in all of Israel. We'll go up to the highest mountain, just me and you, just to be together, we'll tune the world out, just you and I. Jesus is asking you out. <laughs> he wants to spend some quality time with you. Is he important enough to you and I that we'd actually do that? Then he gets us alone on the mountaintop, and you're looking down from the top, and the view is just ridiculous, just beautiful. It took a lot of effort to get there, and you're rewarded for your efforts sitting on the top, getting that 360 on the mountaintop. And he, he looks... He looks you and I in the eye again, and he says, Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. And I'll put it in today's English. You've ravished my heart with one of your eyes, with one chain of your neck. Sometimes I just have one eye on Jesus. Another eye on somebody over there I don't like. They did. They didn't. They don't treat me right. Jesus says, Would, would you get your eyes off of that? Get both eyes on me you've broken my heart i know you love me but you have a whole lot of other things that seem to take priority over me you say you love me you say i'm number one and yet i don't feel like i'm number one you have to you have to get the weather report before you let me kiss you in the morning you have to check facebook internet that's the only social media i'm on i'm only on it because i want to use it to advertise my podcast but it does give me opportunity to reconnect with people uh, around from my childhood and all through my life so there's some good to it but he, he just wants to be first and he says you've broken my heart and i'll tell you i don't want to break my wife's heart and through the years i have on just gotten so busy and kind of tuned her out and didn't listen and i didn't mean to but i broke her heart and jesus just loves us enough to tell us about it hey I want quality time with you. You mean the world to me. I'm so glad I created you. I'm so glad I paid the price for your sins. I suffered, bled, and died on the cross to cover your sins. I'm so glad I did that. You are valuable to me. And he wants us to show him that he's valuable to us. You've broken my heart. And then in spite of that, there's there's a tenderness and there's a kind of a brokenness now here on her part and she's weeping 
And then he says this in verse 10, how fair is your love, my sister, my spouse, how much better is your love uh, than wine and the smell of thine ointments than all spices. This gets really affectionate here. He's holding her close. I know when I've been apart from my wife on a preaching expedition or something, maybe I've been away a week or even two weeks when I was in Sweden 19 times or in Bolivia six times, um, come back. And she was with me a number of those times, most of those times in Sweden. But when we've been apart and I just, I come back and I hold her and like, and I just, I hope this doesn't sound gross, but she's like, I just love the way she smells, just that personal, mm. And that's Jesus holding you and I. The smell of thine ointment, it's, it's magic to him. It's, it's, it's life, it's love, it's worship. It's the relationship that God desires to have with us. And from there, there's like this amazing reconnection. You can read through the rest of the book and... Um, they're just planning life, doing life together and pulling in family members or little sister that's immature and they're hoping to sh kind of share their love example um, the, with others that we have a great marriage and others that see our affection that we have one for another that they can get in on that too and they can get over their hurdles and past their sinfulness and past their own past their own lusts and all of that stuff and just get really connected at the heart. And he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, I remember when I first entered Christianity, I thought, well, here's all this to do. Do this, do this, do this. Read your Bible, pray every day, and don't go here and the don'ts. Don't go here, don't go there, don't say this, don't say that don't run with these people. And so the list of do's and don'ts. And so I'm going to try my very best to do the right and not do the wrong. And man, oh man, I, in our own power, we just totally mess it all up, don't we? But that's the neat thing. We don't have to be in our own power. He came to live inside of us to take the place of what we are, to trade his love for our lust, his grace for our greed, his wisdom for our folly. And I just find myself when I am a a strong worshiper, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I can worship my way through anger that would well up inside of me. I can worship my way to the feet of Jesus, into the arms of Jesus, to where the root of bitterness doesn't get in, in what other people do that's evil, perhaps even against me that it's just like water off a duck's back. It's not entering into my heart. It's not really hurting me. It, it, I just tune it out. And I think that's what it's all about. Song of Solomon. God said, I want you to know my heart. You have no clue how much I love you. And so I would adjure, adjure you. I'd, <laughs> I'd uh, ask you to read through a Song of Solomon, um, maybe even on your knees. And look up to heaven and just watch and listen to him tell you how much he loves you. And just call out your attributes, how beautiful you are to him. And then you kind of pray back those same things that the bride shared with the groom. And you just let this be part of your worship. It can change everything. It's not just a list of rules and regulations and 
and uh, religion. It's Jesus. Today, the great I am, not just at our side, not just kind of inside of us, never leaving us or forsaking us, but it's him desiring us and us desiring him. And as we do, life just gets easier. It's more beautiful. Kind of notice the birds are still singing, the flowers are still blooming, and we're not overwhelmed by all the grief that this world gives us. So that's part of my soul. I hope it's a blessing to you. Thank you for being part of my uh, podcast family, listening. I'm up to about 170,000 listens right now, and uh, it's your fault. Thank you so much. And uh, appreciate if you would share and like and uh, just, what is it? Subscribe. Yeah, subscribe. And uh, as my numbers go up, uh, the podcast world sees me and uh, kind of makes me more available. So thank you for being a part. Love you. Have a great day. Bye-bye for now.